Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Let's turn our attention to verses 1 and 2 in Romans 14. Because it tells us to receive one who is weak in the faith. In other words, receive a person into a believer, into your group or fellowship who's weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things, but not argue with them over debatable issues, gray area issues. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak Or the one who has a sensitive conscience eats only vegetables. So now, as we look in those first two verses in Romans 14, we see that the first debatable issue that came up at that time, and and I'm sure probably even today, the first doubtful thing is food. So one side felt that they could not eat meat, that they had to stick with vegetables. And the other side believed that they can eat all things or, or anything, any types of meat. And now there are at least, a two, at least two reasons that some believed they were to eat only vegetables. At least two reasons, and we don't know which one for sure is being addressed here, but we do have evidence in 1 Corinthians 8 that one of the issues could have been to avoid the meat of animals that were offered to idols. So that could be a reason why why some had a sensitive conscience in regard to eating meat, specifically meat that that, that came from an animal that was offered to an idol. And now that meat is on sale in the meat market. And whether it's on sale or not, they're not going to touch it. They just, I'm just going to stick with vegetables. So that could be, One reason. Another reason uh, for people wanting to stick with only vegetables and not eat all things, not deal with meat, is because some were were Jewish converts to Christianity, what I would call a a, a completed Jew who has received Jesus Christ as their Messiah. So maybe they wanted to stick with their dietary laws that spelled out in the Old Testament. But we need to understand the purpose of those laws because God wanted his chosen nation to be a separate people. And that was one way from their clothes to their diets that they were to show that they were different from those around them, from all of those uh, pagan nations around them, pagan neighbors. And so that was one main reason of the dietary laws. And so some maybe carried that with them as they gave their lives to Christ and received Jesus as their Messiah. So those are a couple of reasons I just want to throw out there for, for why somebody, will, especially at that time, would want to stick with just vegetables. But then the scriptures here, we see in verses 1 and 2, it considers the one who only sticks with vegetables, who have that, that sensitive conscience. That one is considered to be weak in the faith. And if somebody is weak in the faith, it's usually due to a lack of knowledge. 
Maybe they haven't read or understood some type of biblical doctrine. Maybe they don't understand what are the essentials of the Christian faith. The the parts of Christianity, the, the teachings of Christianity that must be there for it to be considered Christian. Maybe they don't understand the essentials or even the non-essentials, what are not necessarily necessary. What's a secondary issue? Maybe they don't have a knowledge of those things. Be another reason of, of why they are weak in the faith, that lack of knowledge. They don't know what liberty they have in Christ to participate in certain things that are under the category of gray areas. So I want you to turn real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll look at verses 4 through 7. And we're talking about a reason, which is probably the main reason people who are considered weak in the faith are weak in the faith. Because of a lack of knowledge. And so we want to focus on verse 7, but we'll start in, in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 8, 4 says, Therefore, concerning the things, or concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. Notice the word know. Knowledge. So we know that. For even if there are so-called gods with a little g, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, false of course, Yet for us, there is one God, capital G, the father of whom are all things. And we for him, there's one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. Not everybody knows that an idol is not a real thing. For some with consciousness or an awareness of the idol. And it says until now. Eat it as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. So a lack of knowledge is one of the main reasons that they're weak in the faith. Just don't have the knowledge or understanding of what the Bible says about certain things or what will fall under a gray area. However, their outlook in regard to food, we're sticking with that topic because this, this is what it's talking about here in context. Their outlook may be different. If they read the following verses, and of course, at that time, the, the New Testament wasn't completed. But in 1 Timothy 4, verses 4 and 5, and we can read this if we're struggling with this. It says, for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified, set apart by the word of God and prayer. Now, if a person reads that and they still feel like, yeah, I'm just going to stick to vegetables. I know what freedoms I have, but I'm, I'm going to stick to vegetables anyway. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Okay? Or if a person reads that and just, man, I'm going to give me a pork chop sandwich and everything now. That, that's fine to eat fish and shrimp. Go ahead. Okay? But be smart because you, wanna, you don't want to end up with high blood pressure. Okay? So be smart about it. Be modest about it. Okay? So, and I wish I would would have taken that advice when it came to donuts and candy and stuff like that. You know, I still, you know, my wife, she brought, brought some chocolate donuts the other day, and I did too much. But, but anyway, 
As we see in verses 1 and 2 in Romans 14, it's not the Christian who places more restrictions on himself or herself who are strong in the faith. In other words, they tend to fall under the category of, of, of being legalistic. You know, uh, focus more on following rules and even placing more restrictions on themselves than the word of God does. And so become legalistic. That's how they try to relate to God. And so you see here that it's not that Christian who's considered strong in the faith. Instead, it's the Christian who is more knowledgeable of what's actually right. And what the Bible says is actually wrong. They're more knowledgeable of what's considered a gray area. And again, it's all based on the word of God. And that strong Christian is considered to be the one who's more focused on relationship. And so those are some things to pick up on as we continue to read the verses in the study. And it says, as we pick up in verse 3 in Romans 14, to let not him who eats despise or look down on him who does not eat. Don't look down on the one who wants to eat only vegetables because of their conscience. And don't let the one who does not eat certain foods, don't let the one who does not eat meat judge or criticize the one who does, the one who eats. For guess what? God has received him. Who are you to judge? Who are you to criticize another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. To his own master, he is doing well or is not doing well. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. And so the Christians who are using their Christian liberties are not to look down on the ones who are not as knowledgeable. They're not to look down on those who have a weaker conscience or hang-ups about certain things. And the one who has hang-ups about certain things, again, we're talking about gray area things, He's not to criticize the one who partakes, the one who is enjoying his or her Christian freedoms. They're not to do that. They're not to judge. And there are a few reasons that we see just in these verses alone why Christians are not to judge another who has a different opinion or maybe a different conscience, weaker conscience in some areas in these debatable issues. And one of the reasons is that that person, that other believer, is not your servant. They don't serve you. They serve God. So that's one reason they're not to judge the other Christian in these debatable issues. A second reason we find we pull from these verses is that only the master, in this case, God, can truly say if that servant is doing a good job or not. It's almost like any of us, we're walking to, we go into someone else's building, someone else's job site, and then we're telling that, that employee that they're not doing something correctly, that they're not stacking the shelves correctly. How do we know? We don't work there. We, we don't know that the, the policy of that work site or that job site because we're not their boss. We're not their trainer. So that'll be like us doing that. So the same way with God. How how can we judge another servant in these debatable issues, gray areas? And some will say, oh, you're not as spiritual as me or you're not as smart as me, not as knowledgeable, looking down on them, calling them silly, 
And a third reason we're not to, to judge other Christians in these debatable issues is that God is that believer's help. God is the one who gives the grace, the, the abilities, the strength and power to his servants to stand, to help that servant to do well. It's not us. And picking up at verse 5, it says, one person esteems or prefers one day above another, and another prefers or esteems every day the same or alike. But let each be fully convinced or persuaded in his own mind. And he who observes the day, a special day, they observe it to the Lord or to honor the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord he does not observe it. Whoever eats, that is, eat all, eats all things, including seafood and different types of meats, they, they eat to the Lord in honor of the Lord. And how can they honor the Lord in what they're eating? Because it says, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, doesn't want to eat those things to the Lord or in honor of the Lord, he does not eat all things and he gives God thanks as well for those vegetables. For those rice cakes, whatever it may be, it's okay. Be, be persuaded or convinced in your own mind in these gray areas. And so here we see that there's a second debatable issue. And that debatable issue that's brought up here is the day or days that some believers hold as important. And so one of these days, of course, could be a reference to the Sabbath day the day of rest that he told the Jews to observe. Or maybe it's a holiday. Some, you know, want to observe a certain holiday. Some were okay with that. To some, they were like, every day is special to me because God is in that day. So some are, are, you know, held that type of belief. And some had, like I said, some days were held in higher esteem than others. And that's fine. Be fully persuaded or convinced in your own mind. But also in those verses, we see another reason that Christians are not to judge other Christians who have a different opinion in these debatable issues. And so we see reason number four. And reason number four is that that believer's decisions to participate or not participate in that gray area is based on them wanting to honor the Lord. So if they're honoring the Lord and making every day just as important, or if they're honoring the Lord on a certain day of rest, if they're honoring the Lord by gathering on a Sunday, on a Wednesday, Thursday, whatever day they pick, they're doing it to honor the Lord. And so we need to keep that in mind before we start judging each other in these gray areas. But now there are some scriptures to help us to have a greater knowledge of these days. In Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17, it says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance, in other words, the reality is of Christ. And so the shadow represents the form of the reality or an object. And so if a person is standing in one area and light is shining behind that person, of course, you're going to see the shadow. 
But the shadow is not really that person. It's not the reality. It's just a shadow. It's a representation of who's there. And so these things, these these foods and drinks, the sacrifices that we see in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the the temple, the the festival, even the Sabbath, the day of rest, these all pointed to Christ. They were a shadow of the reality. The reality is Christ. And so regarding that Sabbath day of rest, and by the way, if you want to take a day of rest, that's it's fine. It's, it's probably practical and in a, in a good decision to take a day of rest. Just, you know, don't do any work. That, that's totally fine, but, but don't push that conviction off on other believers who don't necessarily have that type of conviction. But regarding that day of rest, there are no commandments in the New Testament for the Christian to do it. Now, for, for believers to, to determine whether or not it's something that we should be practicing in today's church, we look at three things. First of all, did, did Jesus command believers, Christians, to observe the Sabbath? How about in the book of Acts? Do you see, now you saw Paul and you saw the apostles going to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, but they were going to witness to the Jews. When the Jews turned them away, they went to the Gentiles. But you don't see, you know, in, in, in Acts, they're not commanding the, the Christian believers, the, any of the Gentile believers to observe that day. And then how about in the letters? So did Jesus say it? Do you see it practice in Acts? And do you see it in any of the epistles or letters? No. But what you do see in all three, you see communion in all three. What you do see in all three, you see water baptism in all three. So those are things we still practice today. So did Jesus teach it? Is it practiced in the book of Acts? And do you see it taught in the epistles? And so, no, but if you want to do that, fine. That's your Christian liberty. But the fulfillment of the Sabbath day, and you heard me say this before, is in Christ. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, come to me, all you who labor, all of you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is there anybody who's laboring right now? You've been working hard. You're, you're weary. Maybe it's not just physical work. Maybe you're trying to earn your salvation. Maybe you're, you're saved already and you're trying to work hard to make sure that you keep your salvation to stay in God's love, to stay in God's good graces. Maybe you're still trying to earn his mercy, although you already have it in Christ. Or maybe you're, you're laboring and you're weary because of burdens in life that you're going through. Well, Jesus invites all of us to come to him. He says, come to me. All of you who labor, all of you who are weary and you're heavy laden, you have a heavy load on you and I will give you rest. I will give rest to your souls. And maybe there's an unbeliever in here tonight. And what I mean by unbeliever, if that's you as a person who never has made that decision to repent, turn from your sins, turn to Christ and receive him into your life. The one who died for you, the one who was resurrected. It says he was raised for our justification. That is to help us to have a right relationship, a right standing with God. Declare us righteous. He was raised for that. And so Jesus is our rest. 
is fulfilled in him. It's a shadow of things to come. Again, back in Colossians 2. And I had that up earlier, but in verses 7 through 9, it says, For none of us lives to himself or lives for himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. We live to honor him. At least that's how it should be for the believer. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end or for this very reason or purpose, Christ died and he rose and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. So he's Lord right now. Although we have breath in our lungs, we received him into our lives. He's our Lord right now. But also in death for the believers, he's, he, he's still Lord. And so he was, he says he, he died and he rose and lived again for that purpose for this end that he might be lord both of the dead and the living but why do you judge in verse 10 or criticize your brother or why do you show contempt for why do you look down on your brother for we we shall all stand before the judgment seat that's the bema seat of christ for it is written as i live says the lord Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess or give praise to God. That's an Old Testament quote from Isaiah 45, verse 23. And notice that that same type of verse is applied to Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And so that same scripture in Isaiah 45, 23, that's quoted in verse 11 It's the same type of quote that is applied to Jesus in the New Testament. Again, Jesus is God. In verse 12, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge. Let us not criticize one another anymore, but rather resolve or or determine this, not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle and not to put a cause to fall, which would be a trap or a hindrance in our brother's way in our sister's way, that is brother or sister in Christ. But in these verses, we see yet another reason that Christians are not to judge those who have a different opinion than us when it comes to those gray areas, when it comes to those debatable issues that are not clearly spelled out in Scripture. And so that fifth reason we shouldn't do that is that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In other words, we already have a judge. And each of us will give an account of ourselves. We'll give an answer to God for our service. And so judgment day for the believer is really reward day for us. It's not to determine heaven or hell for us. We're already going to heaven as believers. We've already passed from death to life. And I'm speaking of true believers, not just those who say it with their mouths, but I'm talking about the ones who are truly born again. And then there's fruit. There's fruit of salvation there. But that believer, all believers will stand at that Bema seat of Christ and our works, our service will be judged. And and if that work we did in his name was done with an impure motive, it'll be burned up. We won't receive any credit or rewards for that. But we ourselves will be saved as yet through fire. And so you can find that in, in, in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's in chapter 3. And so because... That's what's going to take place and even receive rewards for what we have done with the pure motive in his name for obedience. 
even receive rewards for that. Listen, you know, this is a blessing for us. Because even that work that we did in his name that we receive a reward for. Remember, the scriptures tell us that it is God who works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure or or to do what what pleases him. He works that in us and it's his Holy Spirit who's indwelling us, who's molding us and shaping us into the image of Christ, who's working through our lives to to help us to be effective witnesses. He's the one who deposited those those spiritual gifts so we can use them to be a blessing to the body of Christ. And yet and still we'll stand at his Bama seat and he'll reward us for our faithfulness when truly it is him who deserve all the glory. But, but because we will all stand before that judgment seat of Christ again, that is reason number five. We should not judge each other in these gray areas. Now, picking up at verse 14. I'm going to go all the way to verse 23. It says, I know, again, you have knowledge again, that that strong believer has knowledge of what's in the scriptures, what's not in there, of what's a gray area. And so the apostle Paul says, I know, and I'm convinced, I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved, if your brother is hurt because of your food, because you're, you're enjoying that big steak in front of your brother who has a weak conscience about that. So if you're doing that, then you're no longer walking in love. So do not destroy. Don't ruin with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good or do not let what seems good to you be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, for he who serves Christ in these things, or he who serves Christ by living this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another and do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, ceremonially clean, but it is evil for the man who eats with the fence or it's evil for the one who, who eats those food and, and it makes another stumble by what he eats. So that's, that's what it's saying. It is good neither to eat meat in verse 21, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother or sister stumbles or is offended or is made weak. You harm their conscience. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. In other words, do you have faith in, in these um, peripheral, these, these gray area issues? Do, do you have a clear conscience about it? Okay, then have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. So happy is the person if they can do what they think is right without feeling guilty. Again, these are issues that are not morally right or wrong. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith. Or if you eat it, not believing it's not right, it's sin. So if you participate in that activity and you don't have a clear conscience about it, then it's sin. And so just to, to sum this up and give a summary of it real quick, 
Just want to give you some quick guidelines on if you should personally engage in this, in a debatable issue or in a great area activity. And so at this point, we're not taking other people into account yet. We're not taking the other believer into account yet. We're just talking about you. We're talking about us. Just some guidelines. Should we participate in certain gray area activities? And, and you fill in the blank on what that gray area is. The examples given in this lesson is food, eating all types of food or not, or uh, setting aside a special day or not, or days. And so one question we should ask ourselves, whether or not to participate in a gray area activity is, first of all, are there clear scriptures of whether or not this activity is a sin? Are there clear scriptures first and foremost? If, it's, if there's clear scriptures that something is right or wrong, then it doesn't matter what your opinion is. It's not a gray area. It's in black and white. So you don't have to go through the rest of this list. Do not pass go if it's in the scriptures that it's a sin. Okay, but let's say that the scriptures, okay, doesn't necessarily have that in there. It doesn't have in the scriptures if I should buy a TV. Okay, I can't find that verse. Okay, so, so here is another thing. So you, you go past go now. I think I said that right. But anyway, I'm thinking of Monopoly. So are you fully convinced in your own mind? You check the scriptures. Now ask yourselves, are you, are, are you fully convinced in your own mind? Persuaded? Not in somebody else's mind, but your own mind. Not following someone else's opinion or thoughts or convictions, but your own. And then the second one is, can you do it with a clear conscience? Can you do it from faith? And number four, are we being brought under the power of that activity or of that thing that we have the liberty to participate in? Are we brought under the power of it? Because if so, we probably we most likely need to stop doing it. First Corinthians 6.12, it says, all things are lawful. All things are allowable for me. But all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So if that thing starts controlling you, even if it's under a gray area, now it becomes a sin. Now it becomes an issue because you made that even that gray area a God. Because you made yourself a servant to it. And then the most important thing is, can God get the glory from it? In 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Can he be glorified? Can he be honored in that great area activity? So those are a few things to ask yourself if you should personally participate in that. But now we turn to the next chapter. We're going to go up to verse 6 in Romans 15. It says, we then who are strong. Those of us who are strong, notice Paul includes himself. Under that strong group, he says, we then who are strong, that is in our conviction and faith, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. So in other words, be considerate of the sensitivities of those who are weak in the faith and not please ourselves and let each of us in verse two, please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification or building them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, another Old Testament verse, and just to give you a heads up, is Psalm 69, verse 9. And so here's the verse that's quoted here. 
the reproaches or insults of those who reproached or insulted you, Father, they fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, for our instruction, that we through the patience or the endurance and through the comfort that is the encouragement of the scriptures, that we might have hope. And it says, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we read these scriptures here, or have read them, as we think about these great areas, these, these debatable issues in scriptures that are not clearly spelled out as sin or right or whatever the case is, we, we, we come to the title of the lesson. And that is you and yours versus me and mine. Or however you want to put it, me and mine versus you and yours. And so as we see these scriptures and really take into account everything that's been read, everything that's been said, we come to the conclusion that we have to make a choice between the you and yours attitude versus the me and mine type of attitude. And that me and mine attitude, which is a selfish attitude, is is quite easy to have when we don't see eye to eye with another believer, especially in cases of debatable issues like this. And so maybe tonight someone's struggling with that me and mine attitude versus that you and yours attitude where you're thinking about others. Some of us are struggling with just pleasing ourselves. Well, I have freedom, so I'm just going to do this anyway. I'm going to please myself. And so that's the me and mine type of mindset. But instead, we need to have the you of yours. We need to be considerate of others to please others. And so if we're struggling with that type of me and mine mindset, and now we begin to consider others in this part of the lesson. Remember when I talked about the debatable issues earlier, whether or not we should participate personally. And I really didn't talk about the other folks. Okay, now we get to that part. Now we get to the part of considering other people as we partake in these things, these great areas. And and one thing we have to ask ourselves if we're struggling with this me and mine attitude of I'm going to partake in this great area anyway. I don't care what they say. I don't care what their conscience said. If we have that, we need to ask ourselves, am I walking in love? Am I walking in love? If we're not walking in, in love, that we see that our brother's going to be grieved. They're going to be bothered by what we eat or whatever the case is. Fill in the blank. And then another thing we need to ask ourselves if we're struggling with this selfish attitude, me and mine. It's all about me is, well, will this activity make for peace and edify my brother or sister in Christ? Will it be conducive to peace as much as lies within us? The scriptures tell us in Romans. Will it live peaceably with all men? Will it help to edify them if we partake in that activity of that food, of that drink? Is it going to help them? We also need to ask ourselves, am I willing? This is huge. 
I know I have Christian freedoms in this, and I know they have a weak conscience in this situation, in this matter. But we have to ask ourselves, am I willing by partaking of this activity? Am I willing to destroy God's work for food or whatever other liberties or freedoms that you want to put there? Am I willing to destroy God's work for food? As you think about that question, remember Christ died for that believer. Whether or not they have a weak conscience, whether or not they believe that they have these freedoms, they're going to partake in those activities. Christ died for him. We have to remember that before we move ahead and destroy God's work in that person's life. We also need to remember that God has received that believer into his family. This person that we potentially are thinking about destroying and, and destroying God's work in their lives. See, God has brought people a long way. He sent Jesus to die for them. He received them into his family when they received Christ. And now he's doing a good work in them. As Philippians 1, 6 tell us. That being confident in this very thing that God who has begun a good work in us, he's going to complete it until the day of Christ. And so God is doing something beautiful in these believers lives. The things that they used to do, they're no longer doing anymore. They are truly living that resurrected life. And you see the life of Christ in them and they're they're not where they're going to be, but they are on their way right now. But are we willing, because we want to have the me and mind attitude, are we willing to partake in that activity that will hurt their conscience and destroy the work of God in their lives? To put that at a halt, to cause that setback, because the scriptures tell us that we can cause a stumbling block. To be in the way of that believer. In other words, the person with the weak conscience, if they see us partaking in a certain activity that they have a weak conscience about, that can embolden them to do the same thing. But the only difference is they don't have the freedom that we have. They don't have the faith that we have. They don't have the clear conscience that we have. And so we can cause them as strong believers to partake in something they don't have a clear conscience about. And for them, the, Christ, the, the Bible says, for them, or it is sin. Whatever's not done from faith is sin. And the Bible tells us that when we sin against our brother or sister in Christ in that way, and, and you can look at 1 Corinthians eight twelve, when we sin against our brother and sister in Christ that way, then who are we sinning against? We are sinning against Christ. Just like when the Apostle Paul, before he became the Apostle Paul, Saul was going around persecuting the church. And and God says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There's a connection there between Jesus and his bride. And so whether the person has a weak conscience about something or not, they're, they're part of the bride of Christ. So worship team comes to the stage. Share these final points with you. But the thing, the one thing we need to remember is that the kingdom of God is it's not about how much of our Christian liberties we can use, how free I can be in these gray areas. That's not what the kingdom of God is about, but it's about righteousness. It's about joy in the spirit. So are we focused on serving Christ in this matter or are we more concerned about using our, our Christian freedoms to the Destruction of God's work in our brother's or sister's life. And then the, the fourth thing we need to consider if we're struggling with this me and mine attitude 
is am I being Christ-like? Am I being Christ-like? Now, I'd like to end with the prayer that we see in these scriptures in, in Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. It says, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you, the one who has a weak conscience, and the Christian who has knowledge. May, may God grant you to be like-minded toward one another. You have these differences in these gray areas, these non-moral issues. You have differences, but, but he prays that they might be like-minded toward one another. One not, like, one not looking down on the other and the other not criticizing the other one. But instead have the, the, the you and your attitude, the selfless attitude towards one another. He's praying for that. Be like-minded toward one another. And this is something that we all could pray for, along with the Apostle Paul. That's awesome that this prayer is recorded. And guess what the purpose of this prayer is? In verse 6, and we close with this verse, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be like-minded toward one another. Be in harmony with one another. That should be our prayer as well. So that with one mind, one mouth, be unified in mind and mouth. We'll give honor to God. We'll give praise to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. We thank you that as we we, we see those last words that, that were read in Romans 15, verses 5 and 6, we see that this harmony between us no matter where we are in our walk as believers, is is something that you're able to grant us. It's not done on our own. You grant this to us. And so within the body of Christ, Lord, we need to be more unified in the word, in you. It's never before. We're in the last days. And things around us are just going crazy. But you're on the throne. And we praise you. Now, Lord, may you bless my brothers and sisters who are here tonight. And, Lord, if they have a certain conviction about something that, that you want to set them free from, your will be done. You want to give us a certain conviction about something, what to stay away from, your will be done. But help us to love one another. And with one mind, one mouth, give glory to your holy name. I pray, Lord, that you bless them on their way home. Help them to be alert on the road. And if there's anyone, you'll have them to be a blessing to even on the way home I pray that you would put that within their hearts that you'll open up that door of ministry and witnessing even tonight Father if there's anyone who has not made that commitment 
to you, to Jesus. I pray that you'll draw them to Jesus tonight. I pray that you convict them of sin tonight. I pray that you remove the spiritual blinders tonight. In Jesus' name, let us all say amen. Amen. So thank you all for coming out. Thank God for his word. Continue to keep each other in prayer. And if anybody in here needs prayer, um, we'll be standing here willing and ready to pray with you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.